0: All right, welcome back. Good morning. Trust you all had a great night's sleep. You're well rested and ready to roll. So, we talked about parenting stuff last night. We're going to talk about younger kids now. We're going to talk about teenagers. We'll do the dads and moms session in between. But there's a lot of overlap, like I said. Those of you that are new this morning, welcome. If you didn't grab a packet, there's a table right outside the door. We're moving through those different pages of the packet. Just a couple things from last night. They recorded the message, so if you missed it, I would encourage you to listen to it. We covered some foundational things. I did the math I said last night. There's about 70 families signed up. Utah averages 2.3 kids per family. That's like 165 kids. That's half the church's kids are represented by us. But more importantly, 165 souls are represented by us as parents. And for those of you that are new, I want to review my four disclaimers. One, Chris and I are not the experts. This whole conference is me taking the Bible, pulling the principle out of it, telling you how we live it out in our life. It's up to you to apply it expertly to your children. So I don't even know all of your kids' names. How can I be the expert of your child? So you are the expert of your child. So take the principle, take God's word and apply it. And like I said last night, these stories I'm about to share, it's one thing to share it in a random city that doesn't know your kids, but you guys know my kids. So keep it classy, don't harass them. And then those of you that have never done a parenting conference before, today is like drinking out of a fire hose. So just go, God, give me a couple, like one or two things to lock into this week. And it is a gift to be here to have a time to focus. So we're going to talk about parenting, part two. I titled this teaching Sabermetrics. That term comes from baseball. There was a movie that came out a few years ago with Billy Bean. It's the true stories of Billy Bean. He was a manager of the Oakland A's. Uh, Brad Pitt plays Billy Bean. Basically, the premise of the movie was that coaches and scouts in baseball, they get all wrapped up with like home runs and flashy personalities. And Billy Bean and his team, they took a more analytical approach. They're like, we're not going to get caught up with the flashy stuff. We're going to focus in on like on base percentage or something. And it worked. They were able to field a team that was just as successful as the huge teams with all the money in baseball. So does that cross over to parenting? Do our neighbors and friends and families, are they valuing things in parenting that are not as important? They value flashy personality or home runs or something. What are some things that people value? One thing they value is sports. Our kids involved in a bunch of sports? Many families, week is consumed with practices and games and tournaments on the weekend. Families will be gone for months at a time. I know families will easily spend five, six days a week pursuing sports. That's their, that's their highest value. And we've had our kids in soccer and cross country and basketball. We're not anti-sports, but I just wonder, what do we value? What about education? Many families think education is the most important thing. Got to get my kid in the right preschool and the right elementary school and homeschool and charter school and public school so they can go to the right college, so they can make the right money. And we're, we're pro-education in our house, but that's not our highest value. Other families value popularity. They want their kids to have lots of friends and be liked and accepted and cool, and they want them to be in the in crowd. I don't really care about that for my kids. <laughs> so those are some of the Saber metrics that our world values. I think this tweet by this guy, Dustin, he's a professor, sums it up well. There's a 0.0296% chance your kid will become a professional athlete. There's a 0.0086% chance your kid will become a famous celebrity. There's 100% certainty your child will stand before Jesus. What are you teaching your children? That's good. So these things like sports or academics or popularity, are those what God values? I want to look at God's sabermetrics. We're going to look at God's Word. and We're going to see some things that God values. We're going to focus more on kids, focus more on younger children. And again, Chris and I were blessed to be raised in Christian homes that practice. Many of these things we are going to cover. Some of you might be thinking, though, can we actually train our children? The Bible is crystal clear. We must train our children. I think of this verse, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. But did you know the book of Proverbs is full of principles and not promises? What do I mean? It says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. But we all know evil people that have had long lives and good people that died prematurely. It's a principle, though. If you fear the Lord, you're going to live longer back to this verse. It's a principle. It's not a promise, but it's clearly showing the importance of training our children. Generally speaking, if you train your kids in godliness, they're gonna head in the right direction. So God is asking us to train our kids. He's asking us to do it because it's something we're capable of doing with His help, by His Spirit, by His Word, through His church. Some parents go, I can't do it. You can't. None of us can do it. But if we have God's word, and we have God's spirit, and we have God's people, and we have God's grace, we can train our children. Amen? So let's get into some saber metrics. what things God values in kids. First thing God values is obedience. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So this is the quality, first sabermetric that God values is obedience, and He links it to long life. It's His first command with a promise. So question to ask yourself is, do my kids obey me when I tell them to make their bed or pick up their room or, hey, come some eat breakfast, son, or finish that last bite of food? Do they listen to me? Do they obey me? Hey, it's time to get ready for bed. I'd like you to share that with your sibling. I'd like you to come read this book to your brother. And I asked you to stay in bed. Do my children obey me? Put on your coat. Stop fussing, please. Come right here. Hold my hand. Daughter, it's time to go now. Do your children obey you? Obviously, we shouldn't frustrate our children. We're going to get into that this afternoon. It could be very frustrating if we asked our kids to do things they weren't capable of doing. So these are the three questions that Kristen and I have filtered our instruction of our kids through. Did they hear me? Do they understand what I'm asking them to do? And are they capable of doing it? So years ago, when McLean was little, hey, McLean, come sit in this chair. Did he hear me? Does he understand? Is he capable? If it's yes, 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 then biblically speaking, he should obey. And our children's obedience should be quick and cheerful and complete. Imagine if your kid grew up someday and the boss is like, hey, can you give me that report on Friday? And the kid brought it in on Monday and he did half of the report and he had a terrible attitude. That would go very poorly. So the first saber metric is obedience, and it teaches our kids to be under our authority, and that will yield incredible fruit in our kids' lives with their boss, with their teacher, with coaches, with their church, with their relationship. If they do what's asked of them right away with a good attitude completely, they're going to rise to the top. But more important than that, you are sowing good fruit in their heart with their relationship with God. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And so you're teaching your kids how to love God by obeying you on everything all the time. So do your kids obey you? Or are you scared to cross them? If you're scared to ask them to do something, you're not training them in obedience. I am not afraid to tell my kids anything. Are you teaching your kids to obey? Next metric. what does God value in kids? He wants kids that pay attention. Proverbs 4, my son, be attentive to my words. So good listening is linked directly to obedience. How can you obey your dad or your mom if you don't listen to them? This happened many times when our kids were younger. Chris or I would say to a kid, hey, son, uh, pick up your toys. We walk away, we come back, and they're just sitting there playing. Oh, son, I'm going to discipline you. You didn't pick up your toys. And the kid would be like, I didn't hear you. Oh, well, then I'm going to discipline you for not listening to me. Very quickly, miraculously, in a couple of days, they develop an ear for your voice. Maybe they're reading a book or watching a show. Are they still listening for your voice? They're playing with friends and you tell them it's time to go. They're they're playing video games. Okay, time's up. Turn it off. Are they listening to you? Fast forward this skill 10, 20 years in the future. Your child is an adult. Do they listen to a teacher? Do they listen to a boss? Do they listen to their spouse? Do they listen to God and his word? Do they listen to the preaching of God's word in church? Their success in all of those areas is linked directly to their ability to listen. And you can train them to have an ear for your voice. Some parents go, oh, that's unreasonable. It's not unreasonable. It's what God's word expects. My son, be attentive to my words. It could literally save their life. My wife and I would like to take our kids down to Moab every year. This is Canyonlands. Everybody else, knows, everybody else that we've shared this conference with is like, ooh, but you've probably all been there. Canyonlands, island in the sky. You hike out along that cliff right there. It's a thousand foot cliff. We would take our kids on this hike when they were two, three, four, five. And I'd be like, hey, do not go over there. Sit on this rock, don't let go of dad's hand. Like those simple commands can save their life, obviously, in this situation. But listening to your parents can save their life when they're teenagers. I remember I was on a trip when I was in high school. I was about an hour away from my parents' house. I'm staying in the dorms, the chaperones have gone to bed. I'm sitting in this room with all these guys and somebody pulls out the liquor and they're taking drinks and they're passing around. You know what? Voice popped into my head. High school kid, no adults, an hour away from my parents. My dad's is stupid. Go to bed. (laughs) I was like, all right, guys, good night. I'm calling it. I went to bed. And you visualize like me saying that now. Imagine like a 16 year old kid saying that. But my dad and mom had trained me to listen to their voice. And I knew these were, this is one of those scenarios they had talked about. What else does God value? His next sabermetric. God wants our kids to learn to share, to consider others. Proverbs 11, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. God values generosity, but our kids are not naturally generous. We are not naturally generous, but have you ever read the rules of toddlers? These are pretty good. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If it's in your hand, but I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If I wish I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never ever appear to be yours in any way. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. Unless you want it, then it's mine. <laughs> this, is, this is our starting point with our children. God wants us to be generous. God wants us to consider others. Think of Jesus' own words. All of the prophets and the law is summed up in love God and love your neighbor. But this is our starting point. Selfishness is hardwired into our children's heart and it's in our hearts too. But if we're going to obey Jesus's commands to love others, we'll teach our kids to share. I remember when Kale was one year old, grandpa and grandma got him this box or this bag of blocks and he loved those blocks and we would build towers and bridges and all these cool engineering things and he loved the red blocks. You see him chewing on a red block there. But I wanted to push him on it. He was getting kind of crabby and selfish about it. So he's one year old. I'm like, hey, give daddy the red blocks. I don't care what color my blocks are. I'm like, son, just give dad all the red blocks. I was pushing right in on that selfishness because I wanted him to learn how to kill his flesh, not get what he always wanted all the time. Another scenario, how many times have you told the kids, go get in the car and you walk into the garage and there's like one kid crying and one kid standing on a kid and one kid's like struggling to (laughs) buckle themselves up. I was like, we're done with this. Little kids get in first, older kids help buckle them up. Nobody's going to shove each other. Nobody's going to bite each other. We're just going to sit down. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Your closest neighbor is your family. So teaching our kids to be others-oriented starts in your home, and it starts with them learning how to serve their siblings like we discussed last night, the dishwasher and the meals and the cooking and the cleaning and the trash and the vacuuming and the laundry. You're teaching your kids how to serve your family when you teach them to do those things. Again, whatever you are capable of doing, mom and dad, as soon as your kid gets there, they should do it. We pull into church, there's trash in the parking lot. Hey, Elias, will you please pick that up? There's a six pack of beer somebody left there. Hey, Aiden, grab that, throw that in the trash can. And the, this is important. We need to be explaining to our kids the why. Dad just has me pick up trash in the park. No, Dad wants the building to look nice because we want to be winsome and attractive when visitors show up. So, hey, son, will you pick up all that trash right there? Explain the why. And evangelism is about having a heart for others. We can help our kids care about the people around them by having them have a heart that considers others. My daughter, she has a great heart for others. It's blessed Chris and I. There was a young woman that was attending church and Haley befriended her, started to talk to her about spiritual things. And one Saturday or Sunday, I'm standing here and Haley runs up to me. She's like, Dad, what's that prayer that people pray to become a Christian? I was like, all right. So I tell her, she runs off, and she leads this little girl to the Lord. And this young woman prayed with her after church. It was super encouraging. She had this heart for others, which led into evangelism, which was very encouraging. All right, the fourth Saber metric. God wants kids that accept discipline without anger or pouting. This is probably the foundational point of all the points. Proverbs 29, 15 The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Do you believe this verse? Like we briefly talked about last night, do you believe it? Do you believe God's word or do you believe what our culture is teaching us? God's word says the rod or spanking is a tool that God wants in our parenting toolbox. I put a bunch of verses on your handout. Don't take my word for it, read all the verses. There's some fantastic books and sermons about the topic of discipline. I'm going to give you a five-minute PSA on discipline right now, but this should be, this is insufficient training. You need to get counseling. You need to read some books and like talk to a pastor. Learn how to implement discipline in your home. If it's not part of your home, I would be happy to talk to you. Any of my co-pastors would. The world, again, says anything but discipline. world says if you discipline your kid, you're a child abuser. God's word says the opposite. It says if you don't use godly loving discipline, you hate your kid. That's what Proverbs... Thirteen twenty four says, or Hebrews 12, 6, if you don't discipline your kid, you hate your kid. You might be thinking, I tried it, but it didn't work. We got to have a persevering spirit. It says in that verse we read earlier, it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's not like a light coating of foolishness. All the foolishness is gone. No, it's bound up in their heart. It's going to take some perseverance. So a story. My daughter, she was less than two We moved her out of her crib into her big girl bed. And I remember we bought it. We set it all up. We had, like, pink blanket on it. And I'm like, this is your new bed. You're a big girl. Big girls stay in the bed. And she was used to the bed with the bars. That was her world. And now she's in the big girl bed. There's no bars. There's no crib. And so I said, what are you going to do? She's like, stay in bed. I said, awesome. And so I, like, flip off the lights. I walk out to the living room. I'm talking to Christa, reading my book. And I see the lights are on. I walked back, opened the door, and she's just playing. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, playing. I said, what should you be doing? She's like, in bed. I said, that's right. And so I sat down, and I grabbed the paddle, and I bent her over my leg, and I said, I'm going to discipline you for getting out of bed, for disobeying your dad. And I gave her her swats, and she cried. She said, I'm sorry for getting out of bed. And I hugged her, and I kissed her, and I was like, I love you. I forgive you. Now, what should you do? She said, stay in bed. I said, that's right. Good night, Haley, turned off the light, closed the door, walked out of the room, but now my eye is watching the door and the light pops on. I was like, oh. So I go back in there and this whole process repeats for an hour. And after an hour, eventually, I'm just sitting outside the door with my book, trying to reduce... As soon as I hear her feet hit the ground, I'm like, walking, what are you doing? So it went on for an hour and then she fell asleep. I was like, success, I'm a great dad. I trained my kid. I won, but then she did it again the next night and the next night and the next week and the next week. And it went on for nine months, like nine months. That was just my project, sitting outside. I had my laptop there and I'm typing or I'm reading my book or I'm talking to Krista, just sitting in the hallway, waiting for my daughter to disobey. if I walk in there, I say, what should you be doing right now? In bed, sleeping? Yeah, you're disobeying your dad. It was so discouraging. I would sit there and be like, do I believe these verses or not? Do I believe that God's ways work? I was so discouraged. I'd be like reciting these Proverbs in my brain over and over again. I'm like, she knows what I'm asking her to do. She's choosing not to do it. The Bible says discipline is how I train her. Do I believe I can train her? So for nine months, God was just pushing on me right on this topic. Can I train my kid? Now she's a teenager. She has the gift of sleep. She's a fantastic (laughs) sleeper. It was so discouraging. I've had other parents tell me, well, you let your kid decide when they're ready for bed. Whole family stays up till 10, 11, 12, and then everybody's exhausted the next morning and they sleep in and the cycle just repeats day after day. I've had other parents tell me, I put a lock on their door. I just put them in their room and lock the door. Other parents haven't told me this, but I know they scream and they threaten their child in those moments. Some parents say, I just go to bed. And the kid can go to bed whenever they want, but there's a lot of deeds of darkness that happen in an unsupervised child world. When all this was happening with Haley, there was this heartbreaking story here in Salt Lake. There were two teenage boys who got out of bed, they broke into a neighbor's house, and the neighbor shot and killed one of the teenage boys. Again, if you don't discipline your kid, someone's going to discipline them. They're going to get fired. They're going to get expelled from school. They're going to have a terrible marriage. They're going to be arrested. They're going to have fines, tickets. If you don't train them, if you don't discipline them, someone's going to discipline them and they don't love your kid. You love your kid. And God says discipline is a tool to train your kid. I'd rather be the one who loves my kid and is in the corner and believes in them than have somebody who doesn't care about my kid start disciplining them. Are we using God's tool effectively? If it doesn't work, you're not doing it right. If your kid is angry after discipline, you're not doing it right. You put them back in the scenario and you say, son, I need you to do this thing I asked you to do. That's the test. You discipline your kid, you put them back in the scenario. and You say, hey, I need you to do what dad just told you to do. We keep working with them until their obedience and their attitude change. God's word never fails. If you've grown frustrated with disciplining your kids, I Implore you, please talk to me. Talk to one of my co-pastors. I have so many training stories I could tell you right now, but they're all basically a variation of that. But it happened with so many of our kids. But there was these defining moments where it's like, will I train them? Will they learn to obey me? And we won. And it it was this, it was Aiden with Aiden, come here, or Haley with a pizza. I can think of these kids and these moments where. Can I train them? Will they obey? Some parents use discipline as their last resort. It goes down like this. Hey, Johnny, pick up your room. Johnny, did you hear me? I asked you to pick up your room. Johnny, when I walk by, I want to see you picking up this room. Johnny, five, four, three, two. All right, that's it. Johnny, you're getting to paddling. Johnny jumps up, starts picking up. What have you trained Johnny? I don't need to listen until mom starts counting down. That's when I need to start listening. This is how it should go down. Hey, son, clean up your room. If he doesn't, you train him. There's so many like scenarios and what ifs and this happened and I tried this and it didn't work. We should be getting counsel from each other and godly parents on this topic all the time. God's word doesn't fail. Like I told you last night, this is real life. Everybody in this photo is a sinner. This is when we visited Kel up in college last spring. I'm a sinner. My wife's a sinner. Our kids sin every day. We did not win the kid lottery. A lot of mistakes, a lot of apologizing, a lot of training, a lot of discipline. Uh, A typical breakfast in our house is I will verbally correct like three of my teenagers at breakfast like most days. Hey buddy, sit up. Hey son, please talk to your mom a little bit better. Hey, my daughter, you need to look at your mom when you're answering her question. But our family is united and peaceful because God's ways work. Your discipline of your kids, what method do you use and is it working? Okay, fifth saber metric. God wants kids that respond to direction to control emotions. When dad says no fuss or mom says I need you to be quiet now, do they listen to you? Proverbs 25, like a city whose walls are broken through, is a person who lacks self control. I've been a pastor about 17 years now, discipled so many people, and I think a lack of self control holds so many people back with work or verbally or emotionally or sexually, there's a lack of self-control that can lead them to being workaholics or wrecking their relationships or sexual sin or bankruptcy. It says in the Bible that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit and you can be God's instrument to train your kids in self-control. But progress can be so slow. I remember once with Aidan. He's a little man. Now he's 17. He's watching your kids right now. But that's him on the left. And we built an, a Duplo ad out, which is awesome. But I remember once Aiden built this Duplo thing, and his brother walked in and just smashed it. And Aiden went like full rage monster, just like jumped on his brother and was like just attacking. I was like, uh oh. I thought, man, I do not want him doing that to me or a teacher or a cop or his wife. I was like, we got to teach this boy some self control. So for two years, lots of instruction, we had to memorize that verse, lots of training, lots of coaching, lots and lots of emotional self control training. And what was discouraging was, you don't see immediate fruit. We've been trying it for days and weeks and months and now two years and the guy's still kind of learning his self control. But then there was this moment two years later, where somebody smashed his thing, and he just stood there. I was like, boom, that's what we're talking about two years later. (laughs) We don't see the immediate fruit so we give up. I tried that for a whole week or a whole month. I want a whole quarter of a year. Got to be tireless. Just keep training our kids in these things. And we have to model self-control ourselves. I can get angry when I'm My kids have sinned and I'm angry and it's hard to teach my kid to be emotionally self-controlled when I'm not being emotionally self-controlled. God, give me the grace to be spirit filled and self-controlled right now as I train and instruct and discipline you. That was my prayer even now with my teenagers this week. Help me to stay calm right now as I explain this to my teenagers. Are we teaching our kids to control their emotion? Our six metric. What else does God value? He wants our kids to be building a godly reputation. Proverbs 20. We talked about this verse last night. I want to expand on it. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. What is your kid's reputation with their siblings, with a teacher, with a coach, with a boss? My parents taught me this verse when I was five years old, when I was a little boy, even as a non-Christian little kid, I started to think about like, What do people think about me? What's my reputation? Our kids have tender hearts and we can shape them. We have to be in their corner. You got to have faith to see their potential. Come alongside them. Hey, son, this is discouraging. We keep talking about this. I keep training you. I'm in your corner. I believe in you like your kids should know. Dad believes in me. Mom believes in me. They know I can grow in these things. Hey, son, God's helping me. God's helping you. I see you growing. You're going to figure this out. You're going to grow. You're going to learn because God's teaching me. Be in your kid's corner. I believe in you, son. I believe that God can help you learn this or that. Do we have faith to speak into our kids lives? What's your kid's reputation? Have you guys ever heard the term barn blind? It's like a ranching term, like this guy's like, I got the best cattle in like the Tri-County area, but maybe his cattle suck. And he's just walking around. He's like, I got the best cattle. He's barn blind. We can't be barn blind when it comes to our own children. We've got to honestly assess their strengths and weaknesses. I'm not talking about opening your family up to everyone for evaluation. I'm asking, talking about asking key people, hey, do you have any feedback on my children? Anything you see that I could be working on as a parent, what's your kid's reputation? Are they known as the emotionally out of control kid? Are they known as the physically violent kid? Are they known as a kid who lies? Are they known as the brawler? Are they known as a kiss- kid who's always clowning around in class? Are they known as a kid who doesn't listen to their teacher? Or are they known as the eager servant or the helpful kid or the kid that listens respectfully or is helpful? What's their reputation? I get it. My kids are like my pride and joy. You speak against them, I try not to be insulted. But we've got to humble ourselves. I think of my co-pastor, Brian. He pulled me aside a couple weeks ago. He said, hey, your son said this thing at church. I was like, ooh, that's not a good thing. I appreciated Brian telling me that. That's feedback on my kid. That's so valuable to me as a parent. I don't want to be so insecure that I can't handle it. Oh, thank you. That's good feedback. I'll work on that with my child. I appreciate encouragement about my kids and I appreciate negative feedback because that's how I grow as a parent. What's your kid's reputation and how can you help them grow in godliness? Our seventh Saber metric. Help our kids start developing good work habits. Proverbs 14, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Do our kids how to know how to work hard? When they're two and three and four, you start teaching them how to work. When they're six, seven, eight, could they work steadily for an hour or two? When they're nine, 10, 11, could your kid work on something for half a day or all day? Before you judge me, we do so many fun things in our house. Like in the last month, We've watched a bunch of movies, played a bunch of games, gone on trips, gone to visit Kill, gone on family vacations. We go skiing, we go hiking. We do all kinds of fun stuff. So much fun, 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 fun. If you walk into my house at any given moment, there's probably books and toys and Legos and video games and just fun is happening all the time. But at the same time, because we believe we got to teach these kids how to work hard. They're cleaning our house every week. They're doing laundry every week. They're doing dishes and meals every day. They're doing the de-junking and the house projects and the weeding and the mowing and like they work all the time. So much play, so much work in our house. If we can teach our kids how to work hard, they're going to excel in life. God's word says all hard work leads to a profit. Can I teach my kids how to work hard? I bought our house with an unfinished basement and unfinished yard because I wanted projects that I could work with my kids on. My dad taught me how to grow, how to work hard when I was growing up, and it was so helpful. I don't believe in mom and dad outside working while the kids are inside watching TV, and I don't believe in the reverse. I believe dad and mom working hard with their kids together. Years ago, my co-pastor, Billy, we helped him re-roof his house. And so I brought my two oldest sons at the time who were 11 and nine, Kale and Aiden. I don't know if you've ever re-roofed a house, but it's a lot of hard work. It's kicking my butt. (laughs) I was like, this is hard work. My boys, the first few hours, they were like hauling shingles and sweeping, and then as they got tired, pulling nails and picking up debris, and we kept them hydrated and kept them away from the edge where they would die, and mom would become angry. (laughs) But for an entire day, the young men were working on Billy's roof. And I remember at lunch break, Billy and I are standing there talking, and Aiden walks up to us. He's like, ain't gonna get any work done sitting around talking. And I I thought he was kidding. And then I was like, oh, he's totally serious. He's like, let's get back to work, Dad. You came over here to get this job done. My kids did not wake up magically at nine with the ability to work a seven hour day roughing a house. That happened from like two to nine, just deliberately, intentionally training our kids in more and more work around the home. It's again, this is how you put away the spoons. This is how you sweep the floor. This is how you fold the rags and on and on. We never, ever say to our kids, who wants to work? Who wants to help dad? Hey, son, come help me with this. It's just a command. With our basement, we're finishing all the rooms over the last number of years, finishing the bedrooms and the kitchen and the bath and all that. I would have kids just stand there holding a box and handing me one screw at a time. They are basically a human tool belt. I could have put the... But I wanted him to learn how to stand by me and talk to me and hand me one screw at a time as I'm putting something together. I was training him to work. Sometimes they'd be like, this kid I'll see at 9, this kid at 10, this kid at 11, this kid at 12. I'm rotating through them. This is part of our life now. Last uh, weekend, my kids and I built a 50-foot path in front of our house out of pavers. It took us like four or five hours. And we're just grinding on it just working as a team. And now they're becoming really like they're out horsing me. Like it used to be I was mainly doing it and they were kind of assisting me now to keep the whole thing moving. I was like, wow, you guys are actually really carrying a lot of weight now in the past. Are we teaching our kids how to work hard? And then the last Saber metric, last thing God values. Kids that can handle setbacks. Proverbs 24, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Men and women, life does not go how we plan it to go. We lose our job. A relationship ends horribly. A friend betrays us. Somebody slanders us. Somebody that you love dies. You have financial setback. You lose your job. You have medical things you never anticipated. COVID happens. The economy crashes. Life is hard and things do not go how we plan them to go. But if we're going to be successful adults, with God's help, we get back up. You can teach your kids how to be resilient and get back up. When you are going through trials, that is an opportunity. I shield my kids from the gory details. There's stories that I do not tell them, but there are many things that they see, oh, this is a hard thing dad's walking through. This is a hard thing mom is walking through. We're honest with them about these things because I want them to see, oh, this is how an adult who is following Jesus learns how to like process setbacks and hardship. I've cried in front of my kids talking about difficult things the last few years, things that caused me to lose sleep. I want my kids to see me battling to be faith-filled through these adversities. You guys are walking through some challenging things. Bring your kids into that. Let them know and pray with you. You're building their worldview. Hey, life doesn't go how we planned it to go all the time. This is how a Christian responds. Most people get bitter or fussy or crabby, but I'm a Christian like my dad, and I see how my dad is responding to this adversity with faith. My daughter has had a number of classmates be super rude to her call her all kinds of names, cuss her out, steal her property. Sometimes she's doing the right thing, and she's getting mocked or persecuted. She had one classmate that, like, called her every cuss word you can think of. And we're, like, at home coaching her. We're like, well, we'll try to be nice to her. She's like, I am. Okay, well, just give her space. Leave her alone. All right, it's not working. We're in the same study group. Kept cussing her out, being a bully, persecuting her. Eventually, this girl reached a real crisis in her life, and she's weeping, and Haley turned, pivoted, and was super kind to of this girl and totally won her heart in that moment. Her verbal abuse of my daughter lessened. She was a living example of by doing good, you silence the talk of fools. We're so proud of her, but we did not pull her out of that situation. We left her in there. Could have been like, all right, this is it. This, we're going to talk to the principal, the administrators, the teachers. This is unacceptable. I was like, no, she can manage this. We're going to keep coaching her. We're going to be in her corner, praying with her, asking her how it's going, but she's learning a lesson in this that will help her the rest of her life. Cale and Aiden and Haley have all taken AP Bio with the same teacher and Haley got like a B or a C on a quiz last year and she met with her teacher. She reviewed what she missed. She retook it and got an A and her teacher stopped her because the same teachers taught all three of my kids now. She said, what is going on with your family? She said, I've seen one kid who's like academically resilient. I've seen two is pretty rare, but I've never seen three kids in a row that are academically resilient. She said, most kids get a B or a C, they're like, whatever. I'm not going to talk to the teacher about it. She's like, but you Whitney kids, you walk up and sit down and you go, hey, tell me what I did wrong here. Help me learn it. I raised my hand. If I was there, I was like, I know exactly why my kids are like that because they have setback training every day in their house. Oh, your brother did that? Here's how you handle it. Oh, that happened at school? Let me coach you on that. Oh, your boss was unreasonable? Here's my thought. We can teach our kids how to respond to all these setbacks that life gives us. Oh, your brother smashed your Duplo thing? You can come alongside them. That kid made fun of you? That whole table laughed at you? I'm so sorry that happened. Here's how you respond as a Christian. You're really struggling to wrap your mind around AP Bio? Let's figure out how to get better at that. Don't make their life easy. It'll harm them. Don't rescue your kids. Be in their corner, in the trenches with them, but help them learn how to handle these setbacks. Amen? All right, as we bring this teaching to a close, these eight sabermetrics are things that God highly values, and we know that because they're in God's Word. I want to tell you a little bit more about my family growing up. I grew up all over the place. My dad was a pastor. Here's some pictures of my siblings and I growing up. This is in Colorado when we lived in Brighton. My parents put the best chunk of their life into raising us. Their time, money, and energy were mostly spent Raising us. Their home wasn't the nicest, their vacations weren't the greatest, their cars weren't amazing, but they taught us how they loved us. I knew my dad and mom loved me unconditionally. They taught us like emotional control and how to work hard and how to handle adversity, all these things we've just talked through. They chose all these things related to God's word that strayed from cultural norms and even people in the church. I knew that my dad and mom loved me to the moon and I knew they had a super high bar for me. And in that environment, the Whitney kids thrived. By the grace of God, they raised seven disciples of the Lord. Here's our family reunion last year. That's all seven of my siblings and I, all 27 grandkids, all seven of our spouses. This is just glory to God stuff. We all got saved as kids. We all graduated high school, went to college. We were witnessing the high school and college classmates. We all paid our way through college. After high school and college, we've all been involved in churches serving the Lord. There's actually a few pastors in that photo. Everybody's happily married. There's seven Christian homes now, raising 27 grandkids in the fear of the Lord. My parents, from when I was born to my sister, Rebecca, moved out. It was 29 years. That was like the sizable chunk of their life. They put so much of their blood, sweat and tears into raising us and now they reap the reward. Parenting is one of the most difficult, challenging tasks, but it is so worth it. Amen. All right. We are right on time. That blesses my heart. So (laughs) you guys submitted some fantastic questions. So continue to submit. There's eight questions on there. We'll get to those in the last session. We're going to take a 10-minute break. So women, you're going to be back here at 1010. Krista's going to teach you an amazing message. Men, we're all going to pack into Adventureland. There's 60 chairs in there. We're going to go wall-to-wall like sardines. So you guys got 10 minutes. Get some food. Go to the bathroom. Check on your kids, and we'll see you in the room. So...